Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you once again on this beautiful Sunday morning. And Lord, we ask that you would quiet our hearts, that we may concentrate upon you and your word. Lord, that we would worship you in lifting you up. And Lord, that we would ask you to show us what needs to be changed in our lives, that we may glorify thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. And children, stay up here until after the special dismissed to the Children and Toddlers Church at this time. I love that song. Not that I'm an old person, but uh, when I was a child, that was a very popular song in churches. And it's kind of fallen in disuse, and I don't know why. We, we need to be reminded that God's grace is sufficient. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 11. And we're going to look at a very minor event in the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And most of us will remember the story where he comes into Jerusalem one morning and there's a fig tree And there's no figs on the tree, and Jesus curses the tree, and they come back uh, the next morning and realize uh, and notice that the tree is withered away. And they call Jesus' attention in verse 20 of Mark chapter 11, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus saith unto them, Have faith in God. Now that's the phrase that arrested my attention and the one that I've chosen for the title of the message. Have faith in God. Now we see in verse 23, we start with the word for, so this is all connected here. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be, re- ye remo- be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father, which also, your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Now, really, when we take the events of that last week, the cursing of the fig tree is just a a minuscule, a minor event. It just kind of happened, and if we're not careful, we'll get the wrong idea. We'll think that Jesus, as the Son of God did not already know that there weren't figs on the tree, that he had to figure that out. And that he got mad at the tree because it didn't have what he expected it to. And because he was upset, he made the tree wither away. 
Now, that is casting these events in a very human, and shall I say sinfully human way. That wasn't what Jesus was doing here. Jesus was looking for opportunities, just as we talked about Asa in our Sunday school time. He missed an opportunity for God to show himself. Jesus was trying to show his power and his glory to the disciples. And when they said, Jesus, look at what happened. You cursed the fig tree and it's withered up from the roots. Now, how many of you have ever had a house plant die? Uh, somebody said, I got a green thumb. Well, I don't know. I think mine's kind of brown anymore. Uh, I mean, I, I've yet to meet anything that I can't kill, right? But when you don't water that tree and you don't take care of that plant properly, I mean, it takes weeks and weeks for that plant to wither up from the roots. This happened overnight, less than 24 hours. It was an amazing thing. And when the disciples called Jesus' attention to what he had done, said, look at that fig tree, you cursed it. And I mean, it's gone. It's dried up. It looks like it's been dead for 10 years and it was only yesterday. And Jesus' answer to them was, have faith in God. Now, when I see something like that, that's just a little strange to the way I think and see things, I'll tell you what, I know that God wants to teach something there. That this is something that God put in the Bible a little bit more difficult to get my attention and to get me to investigate the surrounding passage because there's a lot more here than what's on the surface. Now, disconnected from this, I've heard of many preach the rest of this passage well, you just tell God what you want and he'll give it to you. And if you have a desire in your heart, God put it there. Well, wait a minute. Let me ask a question. How many of you have had a problem with wrong desires in your heart this week? Uh, if you're alive, you did because your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so, I, I want us to go through this passage because there's some neat things in here. Jesus said, have faith in God. Verse 23, let's read it together very carefully. For verily I say unto you that, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, you read that verse and leave it stand all by itself. It would seem that some of these name it and claim it guys got a point now, doesn't it? Now, you've got to remember something. This was the Mount of Olives that Jesus was talking about. As we go through our studies in the book of Revelation and the surrounding prophecies, we're going to find out that 
there's some incredible things that happened to this Mount of Olives before the end. And when Jesus fights the battle of Armageddon, he's actually going to fight it from the top of the Mount of Olives and it's going to be split into half and uh, he's going to rearrange the entire geography of the land of Israel from the Mount of Olives. And he said, listen, if you'll say this mountain be picked up and cast into the sea, it'll happen. Now, what Jesus is using is something we call hyperbole. How many remember trying to work out the function of a hyperbole in algebra or trigonometry? Well, uh, it's actually hyperbole. It is an exaggeration. But it's there to teach something. God's power is limitless. Amen? He spoke... And everything that now is out of nothing became. I I like that phrase. Uh, I hope you don't mind me repeating it. I don't know any better way to say it. They're looking for the God particle. It's not a particle. It's his presence. He is what makes all things exist. Amen. And God is trying to get these disciples to understand that God wants to put his power. Now, I've got to be careful how I say this. He wants his power active in our lives. He wants his omnipotent power working in our lives. And if we understand this correctly, he wants it at our command to say things and to watch God's power work. Now... Our our nation, our society is in love with two things. One is superheroes. I mean, our, our society, America, we've got... Superman, and we've got uh, all the comic book characters, and I'm not even going to name them, uh, and and, uh, Spider-Man, and all these guys, and we pay millions and billions of dollars to go watch some made-up thing on a screen. Unless you get killed before the movie's over. But America loves superheroes. You know what the other thing they love is? Gangsters and vampires. I put them in the same category because they, they do the same thing. They kill people. It's all the same thing. They love. But here's what they love about them. It's the fact that this individual wields power. Yes, 
We'll take care of it for you. The gangsters. The vampires. We'll kill you. Uh, I like the parodies I heard on a talk show once. It was Count Taxula, and he's going to suck all the taxes out of the American people. I thought that, that was fabulous. The only problem is there's too much truth to that idea. But anyway, we need to get moving here. And we love to hear the stories where all is lost. The car has driven over the edge of the bridge and there in space and everybody's screaming and Superman comes up and catches the car and lands it on the other side. I mean, we, li we like those stories. You know why? Because we really don't want to pay attention to how powerless we are in what's going on around us. And then you turn on TVN, and you got the freak there on the television. I'm sorry, but that's what they are. They're not a normal thing. It has nothing to do with normality. It is a freak of, of theology sitting there. I bind the powers of Satan. You know, the devil enjoys that stuff. Because if you think you can control the devil, who is in control of you? Hello? If you think you're in charge, who really is in charge? Now, Jesus isn't saying here, I'm going to turn over my magic wand to you and whatever you zap with, it's going to happen as long as you believe. But it does say, no doubts, and shall not doubt in his heart. How many of you have had doubts in your heart? How many of you have doubted your salvation, whether you're truly saved or not? Some people struggle long and hard with that. How many, when crisis comes into your life, you know God has the power to deal with it. But you doubt in your heart that he will do anything. Anybody else been there? It says, have faith in God. The three phrases, the first one that arrested my attention was, shout not doubt in his heart. I mean, how many times do we doubt? What is the cure for doubts? Knowledge, right? Truth. Truth is the cure for doubt. The finished product. I mean, I, I stand in great doubt of what's going to happen in our nation through this election cycle. And fear. You know what? November 7th, we should have a pretty good idea what goes on. But I'm glad that my hope and my faith 
is not in a White House in Washington, D.C. My faith is supposed to be in God. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. Even, even to this day, occasionally I'll talk to a pastor and, oh, you're in New York City. Where, where were you on the 9-11? Well, actually, I was in Syracuse at a preacher's meeting. Uh, what, what did you change in the ministry of your church? And the first few times that question was asked, I would go, um, I, I don't know. Um, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me, we were doing the right things before 9-11. We didn't have to change anything because of 9-11. You see, we were telling people about Jesus and inviting them to church. We were trying to serve God. We're struggling together to obey God's word. Amen. Because if you're not struggling to obey, you're disobeying. And that's what the altar's for. And you can get that straightened out at the end of the service. Amen. But if we're here together to struggle to obey God's word, guess what we're still doing all these years later? Same thing. You know what? That sounds like maybe we don't have too many doubts in our heart about what we are doing. Amen? Maybe that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's getting convinced of God's word so that what I do is an agreement with his word. Do you think if you ask God to keep his word, God is going to say no? How foolish can we be? The problem is, have faith in God. Where does faith come from? Let's take a moment. Faith cometh by and hearing by So if you're going to have faith in God, first of all, you've got to be convinced that God's word is God's word. Last Sunday sermon. Then let's build upon that. If God's word is God's word, does this book have the right to tell me what to do and what not to do? Is this my roadmap? Is this the direction? The marshals used to sing a song, I'm using the Bible for a roadmap. It will give you life's direction. But here's the question. Are you convinced enough just to obey? Well, preacher, I don't want to be one of them fanatics. I get so tired of that. I see fanatics everywhere I go. You want to know what the big problem with this whole Penn State thing was? They loved football more than they did the lives of little children. That's the whole thing. Talk about fanaticism. Talk about fanaticism. Just get up and make an anti-sodomite marriage speech somewhere, and you will see fanaticism. Why can't God's people 
just simply believe God's Word. And by the way, we do not hate anyone. We have great sorrow in our hearts because disobedience to God's Word brings destruction to you. And as we studied in Sunday school, to the people and society in which you live. And my heart is broken over the great sin of our nation and our society. And yours should be broken as well. But your faith ought to be in God. You see, I have a prayer. I've been praying it ever since I was a very young man. It was 1985 that I surrendered to come to New York City and start a church. That was a little while ago. By God's grace, he used me to establish this church right here. And there were many times I began to question, Lord, this is insanity. Right, Stephen? Working in the kitchen? Uh, We're just about ready to pronounce an end to major hostilities in the kitchen area. But I don't know if we're going to keep our sanity to get it done, but we're, we're just there, that close. We've been working down there for months. Why? Because we believe God gave us a property and it ought to be used for His glory and it ought to reflect His goodness and His graciousness. You say, there's a lot of things missing in here. Yeah, we've been working up here for three years, but when we put the baptistry in, we had to tear up the downstairs. You know, it's like a Ford. You got to loosen the muffler to change the spark plugs. But it works. Amen? And we'll just keep serving the Lord, and I have no doubts that God put me here, and He wants me to be faithful, and my prayer is that when Jesus comes back, I'll still be here yelling at you on Sunday mornings. Preaching. Amen? And I think that God wants to answer that prayer as long as I keep my heart in His Word. And I want you to pray for your pastor. I want you to pray for me. I don't want to end up like King Asa. I don't want to end up like other people who started out right and didn't end up right. We pray together and we strive together and we keep our hearts in God's Word. And I believe that God wants to do something right here in this church. And let me tell you, some of the things that He's already done are just as about impresses at picking a mountain up and throwing it into the sea. I mean, I was told by pastors when we came, men I respect greatly in the ministry, 
Now, Brother Pete, when you start that church, you got to realize it may never be a church. Uh, it'll, it'll be a mission. And, and you'll be on support. And, but that's okay. And I just said, Lord, your word says that you'll build your church. We call it open door because from day one, before there was a door to open, we say, God, give us some doors to open. Now, we're in New York City, so we have to keep them locked when there's no service going on. We had a guy, he, he knocked on the door and said, I want to clean the church. He did. Several hundred dollars worth of tools and other things. He, But praise God, that was... Only happened once. But that's what he's talking about when it says he wants to give you what you say. You see, you get God's word in your heart to the point that you're obeying it. And God always keeps his word. The problem is we get our heart full of doubts and we say, God, please... Uh, I, I know it says mansions, but the new Bible version says rooms. Uh, Lord, just give me a little shack in the corner of heaven. I'll be satisfied. Hey, I, I want what the Bible says. The greatest thing in heaven is not going to be your house you live in. It's going to be the fact that you can cast your crowns before his feet. How many of you want some crowns that you can cast at his feet? Well, you better get working. You only, you, heaven is a free gift. But if you want something to give Jesus on that day, if you want a crown to cast at his feet, you better get busy obeying this book called the Bible. Only God can use you to bring glory to his name. But he wants you to ask him. He wants you to talk to him about it. He wants you to get so full of his word that you're convinced to obey it. That's how you get rid of doubts in the heart. I know our counselors are really looking forward to camp next week. I was counselor one year, and I saw a guy break his ankle in five places. I'll tell you what, there's always been a little fear in my heart from that day about being counselor at camp. But let me tell you something. What happens in the lives of our kids during camp is phenomenal. And we need to make the sacrifices church to take our kids and to encourage them to go. Because it can be a life-changing experience. Amen. And need you to pray. Those that are here holding the ropes, you pray for those that are able to go. That God will do His work. And I'll tell you what, I'm convinced that God wants to do something in the lives of our young people. That He's still calling preachers. 
that he still wants missionaries to go to the foreign field, that he still wants these great things to happen in our lives. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shalt not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. God's power is limitless. The problem is getting what I say lined up with God's word because God's word removes the doubts. Amen? But Jesus didn't stop there. He starts verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye, what's that next word? Desire. What a word. Jesus said, therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. How many have ever tried that formula? I desire, I'm praying, Lord, I believe, I believe, I really, 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 really believe. But it didn't happen. Anybody do that? Okay. Not the only one. Is God, who had to change your will... So you would want to get saved. Isn't that true? How many of you remember what God had to do in your heart to bring you to salvation? That was not a peaceful, smooth road, was it? You had to get, uh, shall we say, beat up a little bit. So that you would surrender yourself to God. Now, the God that did all of that so you could be saved, is he going to turn his power over to that same deceitful heart and say, whatever things ye desire? Do you know that if God gave you what you desired the most, it would probably destroy you or you would destroy it? Or both of you go down together. You know what the worst thing you can do to somebody who wants money? Give them money. Study the history of the lottery winners. One of the most destructive cycles of life is to take someone who says, I just want some money and be so wonderful. I won. I'm a millionaire. I'm broke. My whole life is destroyed. How many suicides and drug addicts and just totally destructive behavior. You know what? Sometimes God refuses you to give you your desires because he knows what will happen. Well, how do I get my desires straightened around? 
Well, let's put this verse in its context. Have faith in God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if I take the word of God and put it in my life and obey it, could it might possibly be that God would put the desires in your heart that are his? And then when you ask, you can believe and not doubt and know that God will do what he says. How many of you, the first time you heard the gospel, wanted to get saved? Most people don't. The first time they hear the gospel, it's like, wait a minute, can't be that simple. Uh, what do I got to do? I can't tell you how many people over the years have said, it's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, then I want to believe and I do believe, but I got to do something wrong. You cannot do anything. It's being born again. You show me a baby that helped its mother give birth, and you might have a case. But let me tell you, there is no baby that's ever helped mama give birth. What's the first thing a baby's supposed to do? Feed me. Warm me. Hold me. If you had to go through what they had to go through, it'd kill you. And that's why little babies need lots of special care. You couldn't go through what Jesus went through. That's why he went through it for you. He gives you salvation. He'll also give you his desires according to his words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means I shall not need anything. But what's the first thing we do? I want to want to want to want to want to want to want. Hey, let God. If you want God to give you the, uh, your desires, you first have to give your desires to God. He will change them and make you desire, just like he did for you to get saved. How many of you remember what a great relief it was to your soul to finally know that Jesus had saved you forever? Remember that day? Well, let me ask you a question. Could it be any more wonderful to live every day like that? Lord, what do you desire today? This, the whole thing with desire 
is it is a natural process that comes up. I mean, it's getting on a little past noon here. And what desire is arising in some of your minds and stomachs and other parts? I mean, there's this desire to eat. And if we put out a nice great big bowl of oatmeal, no butter, no sugar, no nothing, no milk, to cream to put on top, just a big bowl of oatmeal. Let me tell you something, you'd have to be awful hungry to desire that. But you begin fixing it up, and all of a sudden it becomes more desirable now, doesn't it? Listen, you've got to let God mold your desires. When you begin to pray, God wants you to pray, sometimes under a burden. But you've got to accept that burden. I don't know about you, but I find harder and harder to pray for God to turn this country around. My heart is not burdened like it was 20 years ago. It scares me. But you know what? I don't have a problem praying that God will bring people to church. I don't have a problem praying that people will do right and serve God. I don't have a problem praying that God would line up the desires of the people of our church with his word. Because God still wants to answer those prayers. Amen. But here's where we get tough, and nobody wants to preach on this last point. Verse 25 and 26, verses 25 and 26. But when you stand praying, what's that next word? Say it out loud, everybody. One more time. Forgive. When is the last time you wanted to forgive somebody who done you wrong? It says, and when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against somebody. Now, the word there is any. You know why we never get the first two? Because we never get the third one. Some of you remember this story. This was... The year was 2000, I believe. I had an Iranian man call me up and said, I want to uh, uh, talk to you, Pastor. And I, I've learned a few things. I say, normally, well, if you attend a service, I'll talk to you. I, I didn't do that back then, so he comes into the office, and I find out that he is trying to convert me to the religion of Islam. And I'm sort of snickering at him, and I guess he was probably doing the same. He was quoting the Jehovah's Witness Bible. 
And I'm sitting here going, guy, you got to get a life. If I'm going to listen to you, better quote a real Bible, not some pretend thing. Never, never quite got it. But here was the point. I said, listen, I can tell you the difference between your religion and mine in one word. He looked at me with very interested eyes. I said, the words forgiveness. That man stood up. He was in my office trying to convince me about his religion. He stood up and he pounded on my desk saying, there is no forgiveness. You do unto others as they do unto you. I said, that's the difference between your God and my God. My God died on the cross to pay the price for my sins so that he could take away the penalty of my sins. Now, that was just one of those Holy Spirit moments. I don't take credit for that. I wish I could have gotten it on a video camera. I'd show it everywhere. You just couldn't. Couldn't imagine the fire in that man's eyes and the hatred in his soul. And that was a friendly visit. I'd hate to meet him on other terms. But Jesus says, when you stand praying, what? Forgive. Now let's read the rest of it. If you have aught against any... That your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you your trespasses. Now let me ask you a question. How many sins does it take to get into heaven, to miss heaven? How many sins does it take to get into hell? If God forgave you for all of your sins but one... Would you go to heaven? Absolutely not. God doesn't forgive all but one. He either forgives them all, or he doesn't forgive them one. Either Jesus pays for them all, or you will spend an eternity in hell trying to accomplish what Jesus Christ has already done for you. What is the context? Have faith in God. If I have faith in God, what am I going to do? I'm going to forgive. I have no right to hold against another human being what Jesus paid for on the cross. Whether they ever accept his forgiveness or not, that is not the point. The point is that God forgave me. And if I accept his forgiveness for my sins, that means I accept the possibility of his forgiveness for their sins. That's the end of the conversation. I can't go any further. It says here that if you cannot forgive others, God will not forgive you. 
That means you're not saved. I don't care how religious you feel. I don't care how many churches you've been to, how many baptistries you've been baptized in, how many good works, how many dollars you've given. If you're going to have faith in God, you're going to forgive. You must. It is the essence of faith. If you cannot accept God's forgiveness for your sins, you're not saved. But if you can accept God's forgiveness for your sins and refuse that forgiveness for someone else's, you don't have God's forgiveness. You have a perverted human substitute. And let me tell you, substitute won't do the job. How many of you have learned to drink diet drinks because of what the sugar does to you? I've learned to drink them, but there's nothing like the real thing. In fact, somebody ought to dress up in a big slurpy uh, costume and go around Mr. Bloomberg next time we have elections, don't you think? I'm tired of all this stuff that's going on. Substitutes are worthless. You want the real thing. Amen? Only God's forgiveness works. And I don't mean to demean God's forgiveness by comparing it to other things, but I would hope that we'd be able to see just a little bit of how foolish it is to trust an imitation. God's forgiveness works both ways. And by the way, what is the reason it is so important for you and I to forgive others? Is so we can be free from the bitterness and the bondage that unforgiveness brings to us. Bitterness, I love Brother Thompson's definition. It's drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. Because the only person bitterness hurts is you. And anybody around you, of course. God wants to set you free from all of that. If you have faith in God, if you want to move mountains, get convinced of God's word and the doubts will flee. You got a problem desiring the wrong things? Get God's word in your heart. And he'll change your desires so that you'll actually start wanting the things that are God's and not yours. Amen? Understand that God's forgiveness is for your sins, but also for everyone else's. And we've got to trust God with those things if we're going to have faith in God. All God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would work. That we may have faith in God. Lord, we talk about your word all the time. 
but when's the last time we let it specifically direct our footsteps? We talk about loving God and desiring Him and His truth, but when's the last time we've allowed those desires to change our plans and alter the decisions we make? We talk about forgiveness, and we're so glad you forgive us. But Lord, make us understand that if we will accept your forgiveness for our sins, we must understand the possibility of forgiveness for all sins. Therefore, we have no right to hold against another what you're willing to forgive. Lord, I ask that you would work in hearts today, that you would give us grace to have faith in God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation.